This is a preview of one of our Patreon-exclusive shows. Find the full Rasputin special at patreon.com slash realhistorypodcast. Welcome to the Rob Rob Rasputin special. Here we go, guys. This one is fully about our best friend, our friend, Rasputin. Now, this is kind of a footnotes and fancies. We're adding on to the Anastasia episode. Uh, kind of, we didn't have time to dig into our top schemer. As is confirmed in our top five schemers episode, we did name Rasputin the top one throughout history. So here's mostly a full episode. We might get into some other Anastasia or Russian history stuff, but basically the man, the myth, the legend. Let's learn <laughs> what was real and what was fake. Do you, do you know what that makes me sound like? It makes it sound like, Jacob. It makes it sound like you're calling him out for the start of a boxing match. The man, the myth, the legend. Ross, in the blue in corner. In the left corner. Uh, in the blue shorts. <laughs> ra rah, Rasputin. Well, listeners, I hope you like obscure <laughs> random facts about uh, Russian peasants who, who wandered the land, you know. Uh, so, yeah, we'll try our best to give you a great kind of overview of Rasputin and why he's so f- famous or infamous. Probably infamous. Infamous, I'd say. Yeah, yeah you decide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so let's touch base on like what people might know about this man because mm. in the f- animated film Anastasia he is a, a cartoon villain because it's a cartoon but mm-hmm. he is like uh he's an actual sorcerer and I think that's kind of the the vibe people have like a mystic of sorts a faith healer, healer. A, a person who might lay curses that kind of idea and he kind uh, of prof- uh, yeah involved in prophecy a lot of the time at some of his uh, I. We'll, we'll go into it, but some of his prophecies were bang on. Mm. Uh, just uh, a pity I mean, that yes, Nicholas II uh, uh, of Russia didn't uh, listen to him. A stop clock is right twice a day, though. Like That's very you, true, you make enough predictions. Just like me and you, Mark. If you make yeah, enough yeah, predictions, yeah, yeah. some of them come true. <laughs> um, but I suppose he's, he's kind of known either as a kind of a menacing mad monk or, and there's a lot of M's here, a misunderstood master manipulator. So he's sort of... And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Absolutely. Yeah. And depending on who you talk about, talk to, a big thing with this, and even just researching um, Rasputin, is that they're, like, I'm not, I know fake news is a popular phrase these days, but there really was a lot of fake news about him. He was hated by the Russian elite, the mm. aristocrat. They were jealous of his, his uh, connections to the royal his family. Influence, his influence, yeah. Uh, he was... You know, in all the kind of um, tabloid newspapers in Russia at the time, he was, you know, he was a common trope or a common, uh, if you if you needed to fill a page a page filler, you would just bring out another story about his perversion or about the fact that he may be sleeping with the with the uh, Empress uh, really Alexandra. Yeah. Or, so there, like, there's a lot of, when I was looking into this, it's really hard because a lot of kind of old biographies of him include a lot of the sort of the what would you what would you Myths call it? Or Myths. The... um and as I, the, people obviously love all the kind of puerile details about the kind the spectacle. of sexual stuff he got up to so there's a lot of that in there and as we'll see he was uh, he was definitely no angel but he wasn't cartoonishly outlandish uh, as as described in a lot of newspapers as well so as mark said the truth of his myth is probably um somewhere in the middle yeah because the obviously the cartoon is like an exaggerated version but it's yeah. kind of an exaggerated version 
of the version that's already exaggerated, like the the popular, uh, like like Caesar. You know, Caesar is is not just the historical fact about the man. Caesar is the cartoon of the emperor and napoleon is a short guy you know who gets very irritated like there's the the actual propaganda of the time and stories they've all intermixed so we're gonna try it's to so hard it. yeah it's so hard to kind of work out what was actually the truth but it's, it's the version of churchill that's in the movie dark hour like yes the cartoon version of the cartoon of the person there you go yeah yeah, yeah. But I suppose what's really interesting about, and when we discussed this briefly on the Top 5 Schemers episode, what really kind of drew, drew me to him was the unlikely, um, the un- whole un- the unlikeliness of this man's life. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, just considering where he came from and where he ended up. Now, he ended up uh, in not a good place, as we'll learn, but... <laughs> Like no one would have. We had a good time getting there. <laughs> yeah, like like he was basically, in short, like when I was trying to think about the whole premise of this this episode, like, so how did a self proclaimed mystic, you know, rise from such poverty and in in an obscure village in the wild east of Russia where no one ever visited? You know, how did he rise from this to become like? The, Romanov family, so the most powerful family in the whole Russian Empire, um, their most trusted guru, confident. It's like a grand vizier. Advisor. Like yeah. Um, and healer, you know. So he, he kind of had so many different hats. And he was right there at the pinnacle of their power, but also at the moment when their whole empire was about to crumble. Um, which it's an extraordinary story, you know, after three centuries of rule. So I think that's why he deserves a, an episode to himself. To what to what extent do you think um, is the demonization of Rasputin down to, um, in a way, sort of excusing the disastrous rule of of Tsar Nicholas? Like because it, it it seems like he's he's kind of an easy figure to blame the thing on because. Tsar Nicholas was such a disastrous leader. Yeah, it's uh, easy because he looked, even the way he looked, he was a maligned yeah, force. It yeah. was easy to paint him in a bad So it's way. kind of easy to kind of say, well, the Romanovs, especially given how, as we talked about in the main episode, how like sort of lionized and revered they were as a dynasty. And then they collapse when this figure comes on the scene. Do you know what I mean? Like it's after th- 300 years of, of there being Zahars, Nicholas can't, rule like a like a real Romanov because this malignant figure is is yes, you know infected infected his family you know? his yeah so, so you can see how he would be you know real fodder for for tabloid type publications absolutely and, 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 and blamed by other Russians for you know and he also had the misfortune in a way of um, censorship had been relaxed a little bit this is at the early twentieth century so you're talking. Uh, you know, when he was, uh, probably but when he was in St. Petersburg and having an influence on the family, you're talking, you know, uh, some from, I suppose, around 1905 onwards to up, up until uh, 1916 when he, when he finally died. So that kind of p- period of time, you know. And 1916 being like the year before the Romanovs are killed? Yeah. 
I mean, it's right up, to, right till the end. Oh yeah, yeah almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was there. He saw. He witnessed so many events, and maybe he had a bad influence. Yeah, on a well, lot certainly of not a good influence. Yeah. Anyway. Shall we rewind then to to his his humble beginnings to yeah. understand that? Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Now, our biggest challenge for this episode, uh, listeners, is pronouncing obscure. Uh, Russian names yeah, I so feel, I feel, I feel yeah. like all episodes of Real History should come with a, like a, a pre-assumed apology for how we're pronouncing names yeah and well we, we do are very fortunate on this occasion we do have a friend of the podcast uh, Mikhail um, who has been so good as to provide us with a couple of little pronunciations throughout here so we're going to do our best to take advantage I suppose he's a historical consultant it's a Rus- Russian historical pronunciation yeah. one if nothing else exactly. Lingu- linguistic mm. consultant exactly yeah, yes. so um, who was Rasputin I suppose he was born January the 26th, uh, 22nd 1869 so he's being born into the Russian Empire um, which within living memory so within only a decade earlier the serfs had been freed mm-hmm. he is being born into a tiny little forgotten village in the middle of Siberia. Like, to put this in context, Russia's obviously enormous, ridiculously enormous. But this, where he was from, is far closer to Kazakhstan than Moscow, mm. you know? Okay. So to think of it that way, it isn't, uh, you know, it isn't, uh, you know, the, a, 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 a sprawling metropolis there's Most not, people couldn't point it out on a map. There's no post to Moscow. Like you, exactly. You <laughs> so into this world, you had Grigory uh, Yefimovich Rasputin, and he was born into the village of, and here we go. Pakrovska. Pakrovska. So I hope that worked. <laughs> anyway, a little bit of a delay. I'm sure Jacob will edit that. I'm so, sure so, I won't. Can, can, I, can I ask, an, is, is Rasputin his actual second name, or is Rasputin a... a yeah, there, there is a little bit of doubt. Because that's, that's not a family that. name, is it, in Russia? It's, it depends. So originally, and when I first looked into this, uh, like the big joke was that his name almost means rascal or debauched one, Rasputin. Ah, okay. You know? okay. But re- more recent scholars tend to uh, also believe that it could just mean the meeting of the waters. So it could just be oh, a, so a sort be of a, a... So there could be somebody around now called like... Vlad Rasputin or something like that, that. Could be a name. yeah yeah so his name might necessarily mean the debauched one even though it really really fits his character yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's you know te- you can that's tell a tempting, that's a tempting description yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, so his early years obviously being born into late 19th century um, he's born into like rural poverty so like he's in v- poor village life heavily influenced by the eastern orthodox church so much so that from a young age, he did actually go off at the age of 18 and he attended a monastery, um, an Orthodox monastery. Um, but he didn't become literate and he didn't ordain as a monk for whatever reason. It's a little bit of a mystery. What's interesting with this guy is there seems to be um, stories about his healing powers and his prophetic powers. They seem to have followed him from a very, very young age. You know what I mean? So his life... Uh, he he, it's almost like he realized that he was known for these things. Yeah, and then he was going to double down. So, on he's, them yeah. so he really, he really leaned into it. Like yeah, yeah. People yeah. think I'm fucking weird, so I'm just going to be super weird. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so after a short trip to this monastery at the age of eighteen, he returned at the age of nineteen years old to his village, and he married a local woman, and he ended up having. Depends who you're talking to. He had uh, three or four children with a lady called Proskovia. Um, and 
for all Proskov, intents and purposes, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have Mikhail's uh, pronunciation no, to help us there. We're trying to kind of bring it ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Excellent, Jacob. Well, you're closer to, you were born closer to Russia than either of us. Um, but the next decade of his life, that's the interesting thing. He seems to have had a relatively, you know, easy fa- family Quite life. Enough. Yeah. But some, something not, There's not much written about it, or is it? No, very little. And about his whole childhood, like there's all this, these rumors about him being a horse thief when he was young and stuff like this, but none of it can be proved. You know Which what I mean? like Jesus. There you go. So, yeah. He's 30. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so like what seems to have happened though, when things start to get really interesting for him is in his late 20s, um, he seems to have had some sort of a religious crisis or a, a moral panic or... Which we can all relate to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've gone through a we've few. All, we've all, we've all had our <laughs> um, so around 1897, he decided to become um, what something that thou- literally thousands of Russian, mainly men, became at that time. Uh, something called a staret. And like, it's really hard to get a translation of this word, but like, it's probably a, a kind of a, a non-ordained wandering holy man. Wow. Okay. Like he's not by any means like a friar but not a little not, bit but, but not, not, not sanctioned by any not church okay, yeah. just sort of wandering from town to town relying on the kindness of strangers uh, offering up prophecies offering up um healing powers this type of thing like a shaman a wandering kind of yeah and it but this was a whole subculture in russia at that time like mm-hmm. the, the orthodox church was extremely powerful you know and the level of superstition as well mm. which was extremely yeah, very 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 high in orthodox christianity exactly you have to remember the vast majority of people were still illiterate um it was a still a really agrarian society it was only beginning to industrialize um at that time so you know he was wandering from place to place and he seemed to be kind of like looking for enlightenment or whatever way you want to put it but he ended up in greece he ended up in jerusalem um so all of the sort of centers of the orthodox church and he kind of when he gets stuck he'd just go to another on orthodox monastery and they take him in for a while you know so he was kind of wandering from years and years and there was a particular the family at home i assume yeah that's the thing yes he seemed to get sick of the family life uh, i'm bored now yeah yeah i've, I've done that family too. where are you going yeah pop down to greece warm down there um but one thing i suppose that there is an influence that um later would kind of weigh heavily um in how people would write about him. Apparently he did have, well, he was heavily influenced by a sect, kind of an orthodox sect called the Kleist. And these guys were into like self-flagellation. So like whipping themselves um, in, you know, in order to get closer to God. But also there was a a, a really minority view in this sect that, that said that, if the, basically the closest way to get to God was to exhaust yourself from excessive sin. Now, this sounds more like it. Yeah, so yeah, this is the part you're all waiting for till the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. When's Michael going to yeah, start it out all his sexual perversion? Get, yeah. get into the weird stuff, mate. Don't be afraid. But of yeah, uh, so he seemed to have been influencing this. Now, maybe this was overblown, but this, his, his sort of knowledge about this sect or influence of that sect led people to, you know, make constant claims about him being involved in, like, orgies and lots of uh, perverse acts Mm. all through, or what was considered perverse acts anyway for the time. 
uh, throughout his whole life, um, involving this sort of an excess of drink, um, sex, whatever it is, do everything to extreme, exhaust yourself, and then you will suddenly kind of come to the realization of God or something like that. You know, Someone I'm really not a theologian, guys, <laughs> yeah. so don't ask me. You know, someone uh, really yeah. made the piss there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Someone <laughs> really it was made a real smart move there. Like, ah, I've got an idea. <laughs> Turn this whole don't sin thing on its head. Yeah. Yeah. I really like sinning, but I also really like my income as a priest. Yeah. So a sect <laughs> seems like a sect like this wouldn't exactly be um, kosher, right? Yeah, but kind of thing like be a kind of thing like, and this was one claim that was made about him was that like he would he would say he would tell women to sleep with him because he had healing powers, mm. you know, and he was his character. We've all done that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I suppose his character. What? You see, he couldn't have done any of this if he didn't have a magnetic character. You know, he, he was just a wandering around. People are just like telling him to shut up or ignore him, you know. But he did. This is the thing about him. And this is why he could. He was comfortable talking to like a beggar in the street, a merchant or the Tsarina of Russia. Like he could talk to anyone. He was really charming. He was charismatic. He was cunning. He, he, he seemed to enthrall people you know he had a real curiosity for life and he from what i've been reading about him and from his main biographer um he seemed to have like a deep understanding of human psychology and what people need and then he could use he that to manipulate manipulate them or help them depending on which point of view you take of uh of rasputin yeah. you know um so yeah i suppose this was one of the things that kind of this this charm got him through a lot of doors in his life. And one other thing that really stands out for you is that he had these sort of burning, blazing eyes. Everyone speaks of this, his enemies and his friends, you know, like he had these kind of eyes that had like a magnetic energy to them. And people would say that they'd hypnotize you. And incidentally, he did use hypnotism, hypnotism yeah. you know, yeah. to, to heal say, was he, he was known for actually using hypnotism mm. techniques, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. So he seemed to kind of have something about him anyway. Mm. Whatever the hell it was, it's hard to tell. Like, I often think, you know, in uh, if anyone knows the original Jungle Book, Disney book Jungle Book, yeah. there's the snake, the snake. Ka, I think his name is, you know, with the kind of flashing eyes. And, yeah. Yes. And, and this is obviously like the early 1900s. So we do have photography and there are photographs. And if you Google images of him, you'll, you'll see like a crowded scene. There's loads of people there looking normal. And then you can just fully see the whites around you his eyes. You can just eyes. see his eyes. Like yeah. He's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're just, they, they, you'll know who he is in a picture. Obviously he looks like a madman anyway, but like the eyes really pull you. Yeah, he was like a shaggy, he was a shaggy bearded guy. He wore very simple clothes. Yes, exactly. And I suppose this was his big, I would always say, yeah, his big kind of, he had, he used it fully to his advantage anyway, no matter what circle he was mixing in, you know? Like he's the kind of person that today would be like a rock star. Or like, a, or like a movie act. As in, as someone who has that sort of magnetic thing. Do you know yeah, I mean? and I suppose the other thing, what kind of gave him an air of legitimacy was that he didn't seem to have any interest in money mm. or riches or accumulating mm. riches. Like if Which he would, would disarm suspicions. Yeah. If he wasn't looking for money from you after he did something, he, and then you were like, oh, he's looking for and then he just leaves without money. I, like famously what they said about him was that like it was more his, his 
what attracted him wasn't luxury or whatever you know it was it was definitely or lust or or, or, or or money it was more lust and power and influence Fame. that was that was his thing so obviously there might have been a form of narcissism there or whatever i don't know sure. yeah um but anyway all this to say he was wandering around russia for you know um good f- uh, five or six years when he eventually ended up in saint petersburg the seat of the Russian Empire, which was, I suppose, the largest on earth at the time, mm. you know. Yeah. And, you know, he was arriving, and this was in 1903, so just at the turn of the century. Um, he, Early 30s kind of age at this stage. Yeah, exactly. And the funny thing was, there was sort of, at that time, no matter where in the world, like even in Victorian times or whatever, there was a sort of a fascination with the occult. There was a fascination. Oh, massively. massively yeah. Mysticism, yeah. Um, seances. Seances and different different societies that sprung up across in, in cities across Europe. Just uh, lots of uh, discussion of them in, in London. There was one here in Dublin, the Hellfire Club. They're all, all across Europe, you know. There's a, there was a big sort of uh, renaissance in mysticism and Gnosticism yeah, and all yeah. that stuff, yeah. And he kind of it turned up, so he was sort of this like shabby, chic guy mm. that you would invite to your party. You can imagine him being a focal point for that kind of type of interest. Yeah. 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 Even though apparently like he stunk, like he absolutely stunk. Like, yeah, yeah apparently he didn't wash, you know, this type of thing. But he was sort of a curiosity. And two Montenegrin princesses that were married into the Romanov family, they first met him at some party or whatever. And they eventually introduced him to the royal family. So mainly Nicholas II and Alexandra of Hesse, um, who, you know, were the His rulers. Wife, the Tsarina. Exactly, the Tsarina. Um, and he would become sort of integral to their own idea of... I suppose stability and um, he, 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 he would later become sort of a guarantee in their eyes to, to, to their power, you know, mm. that, that they would continue in power because he was sort of a healer, a priest and a political advisor um, all kind of rolled into one, you know. And fair to say that he, the time that he met them, they were at a point of a personal sort of crisis. Oh, 100%. And I suppose the thing is as well, like... He was like the, 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 we we spoke in the main episode, but the Romanovs really lived in a gilded cage. Mm, Do you know what I mean? So. They were they were afraid of the real world. So he was called like Nicholas describes him as the vice of the people. He was seen because he had seen every strata of Russian society, and he knew the beggars, he knew the merchants, he knew the priests. He knew, he knew a version of Russian society that the Tsar could could never dream of knowing. Yeah. So like they actually, you know, they 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 appreciated his his, his opinions you know mm, mm. um but they had a dark secret that they were trying to keep at all cost from the world if you wish to continue listening head on over to patreon.com slash real history podcast but look we're not trying to nickel and dime you here you can just stay right here on this feed and there'll be a regular episode right back at you next week. See ya.